The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. How you doing, dude? I'm I'm okay. I still have my uh, my stent. Oh, right. They haven't pulled it out through your penis yet. Do you have to say it that way? No. Well, is it not the truth? It is the truth. I have to keep it in until at least the 30th of May. Well, I don't think you're going to have any problem keeping it in. It's not like you're having to hold or clench. Uh, no, but it is poking me from the inside. You can feel it? Which is a weird sensation. Yes. Oh, that is weird then. Mm-hmm. Here, I've been mocking you this whole time, and you've been walking around with what is essentially a straw yep. up your hoo-hoo. Well, it's a little further up than the hoo-hoo, but it is, it's, it's about 35 centimeters long. Wow. And one end is in the kidney, the other end is in the bladder, and every once in a while it starts getting pokey in the bladder. Oh, so this sort of feels like when you get the, the big cast on your arm, but you've got an itch? Yeah. Yeah, try scratching this one. All right, now that no one's listening, here we go. <laughs> From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Dad Bod Garage Band. We'll look at that middle-aged group still hanging on to the dream of making it big. And we'll run down the top albums produced in a garage, and you'll be surprised who makes the list. We'll also review the perfect audio interface for the formerly aspiring musician still looking to rock out with uh, your thing out. (laughs) Plus, more on our Live on Location show at Cosmo Fest 2019. I didn't think you'd read that. No. (laughs) (laughs) And now... Michael Hainsworth. So, Dad Bod Garage Band. Isn't that a great name for an episode? Well, I want to see where this is going to go, but yes, it is. The definition of garage rock. I looked this up on the internet, so you know it must be true. You could have asked me. Okay, well, then you define it. Garage rock is a rough and raw and ragged, high-energy sort of music made by people who just want to rock out without any real uh, concern or care for virtuosity. It is the bedrock of so much rock music, beginning in the early 1960s with a band like The Kingsman. talk about a lack of virtuosity in the music you know the kingsman's louis louis lyrics were so incomprehensible that it led to a panic when the song came out in 1964 the fbi received a letter from a teacher at sarasota junior high who said students were passing around the actual lyrics to louis louis and they were sexually explicit the fbi received similar complaints across the country and launched an investigation lasting two years some of the alleged words are too inappropriate for television so we showed them to yank barry a former lead singer of the kingsman <laughs> the the f word was never even close to one of the words that was used, so I don't know where they got that. Barry joined the Kingsman in 1968. He says the original recording was crudely produced. They hung the mic up high up in the ceiling, and he was screaming the words because they had nowhere to put the mic, and that's why it was not super audible. The Kingsman's hit was actually a cover of a Jamaican reggae song. No harm intended, but Barry and the band were hounded by the FBI in the 60s. Barry says crude lyrics were illegal at the time. It came to a point where the band really became very paranoid on the road. This was an ongoing investigation. But the FBI never did find any wrongdoing. And now Louie Louie is a force for good. Barry is a successful businessman and philanthropist. And he now sings Louie Louie for charity. 
I've been very, very fortunate to sing it with the biggest stars and politicians in the world. They all want to. They all want to sing back up in Louie Louie. So garage band rock, most notably in the United States and Canada, it's experienced a revival since then, and. There's a, a very specific sound to it, as I understand it. Basic chord structures with electric guitars. Yes. Sometimes distorted through a fuzz box. All the time distorted through a fuzz box. Okay. And uh, I, the, the description I'm reading here says, an often unsophisticated and occasionally aggressive lyrics and delivery. Yes. I mean, we have the Kingsman with Louie Louie. We have the Stooges, which were essentially a garage rock band with Iggy Pop. We There were a lot of punk rock bands that were grounded in garage rock. A lot of indie bands from the late 80s and early 90s were grounded in grunge rock. I mean, or, or garage rock. I mean, grunge was a big part of, uh, or garage rock was a big part of grunge. And uh, any of the indie rock that we have today is is uh, the, the more aggressive sort is, is all garage rock based. So then you tell me if I've nailed this or not, because I've looked at a large collection of legendary albums that were recorded in bedrooms, kitchens, and garages. Okay. So I've compiled my top three. Beck's Odelay. Mm, yes. She's got a cigarette on the charm. She's got the lily white cavity quasars. She's got a carburetor tied to the moon. Pink eyes looking to the fruit of the ages. She's In the home of the Dust Brothers. Well, that came later. Originally, all the demos were done in, in his buddy's house. Uh, apparently, he recalls that the room was tiny and that one wall was hidden behind records. Like, you couldn't actually see the wall for all the... It sort of reminds me of your basement. It kind of does, yeah. Yeah, and apparently the Dust Brothers had such an old version of Pro Tools that Beck found many of the samples he used on the record by listening to the albums on that wall while he waited for the tracks to save. That would have been a really early version of Pro Tools. So this record comes out 93, I think. Like, we're using Pro Tools today for this podcast, and it feels a little overkill. Yeah, I'm version 13, I think. Right. Or version 12, whatever. We're, we're, this is way back when, when uh, uh, you know, eight, gig, 8 megs of RAM would have cost you like $1,600. Number two on my list, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. He recorded it on a tape recorder. Yeah, a cassette player. Uh, that he was using for uh, demos for the E Street Band. That's true. And the original version of Born in the USA, the first take, uh, was recorded on that tape recorder in that garage. Yes. Born down in the dead man's tent. The first kick I took was when I hit the ground.
because there's so many exile on main street from the rolling stones another one keith was in uh, a villa in the south of france and they had the rolling stones mobile outside like a Um, giant truck not so giant that truck now is the uh, property of the national music center in calgary they found it someplace in new jersey and it was (laughs) it had fallen into disrepair so they spent i think thirty thousand dollars for it brought it to calgary refurbished it and now you can actually use that same thing in uh to that same truck to 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 make records uh of your own um the the keith was living in this place in the south of france and uh, the truck was parked outside and a lot of the stuff was made in the basement uh which was hot and stuffy and uh just you know there were cables all over the place but exile main street went on to become one of the greatest well maybe the greatest rolling stones record thought maybe we should do an episode on garage bands and i particularly decided to call it the dad bod garage band is roland offered me up a rubik's 44 usb audio interface that would be perfect for a garage band scenario it's not a piece of gear that's stupid expensive and the kind of stuff that the stones would use but it's also not something that a, a new kid on the block would use either. So the fact that I'm not a musician, like I don't have a garage band. I thought, who do I know who has a garage band? And Geeks and Beats studio director, Sean Jete is the front man of the Porch Stool Jam, arguably the worst band name in the world. <laughs> you know, the only band that maybe is worse than that is Hitler's Underpants. <laughs> That's what uh, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark used to be called before they were uh, OMD. Really? Yes. I'll never want to underpants and then maybe you know there's always Daglo abortions another great band name mm, true scraping fetus off the wheel that's another one that i like joining us from his home studio in scarborough canada is sean jete good to have you with us you got to take it off mute oh there we go sorry about that 
<laughs> and you're the audio guy. I don't know when I was supposed to go. Yeah, is he qualified to use this equipment that we're talking about? <laughs> well, so this was the thing, dude, is I, I thought, you know what, who would be better to review this gear and give us some insight into the world of garage bands than you? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, thanks very much for having me on. And yes, it's uh, I've really liked having this uh, little unit in my hands, that's for sure. And I have done quite a bit of home recording sort of stuff, and most of it's just, you know, relegated to the back half of my hard drive somewhere but yeah i have i've experimented quite a bit with audio interfaces and things like that so this was kind of fun so you got to get out there and and like i said this is the kind of thing where you could take this on the road with you you have a a regular gig Uh that you do and so you're out and about i did but that's not how i used this particular thing oh okay yeah i just used i just did a home recording with it because that's mostly what i do with these kind of audio interfaces don't you worry about what's on your So what makes this audio interface particularly special? Well, it's really sexy looking, first of all. It's much nicer than the, than the uh, Apogee uh, that I was using before, uh, which sort of looked like it had dreadlocks coming out of the back of it. It was a, a very strange interface. And this has all of, its, all of the buttons and everything on the front. It's all tactile. You're, you're, you plug in and it, the computer recognizes it instantaneously. GarageBand recognizes it, changes its inputs and outputs instantaneously. You don't, you're not using GarageBand, are you? <clears throat> I do. <laughs> really? For real. <laughs> so you're not paying 50 bucks a month like Alan and me for Pro Tools? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you know, I'd be probably pretty lost with Pro Tools. It's funny because I'm, I'm very um, comfortable with video editing stuff. And so therefore, uh, 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 the program iMovie absolutely drives me crazy because I, because I know what I want to do and it's trying to think for me and it's you know, trying to fill in the blanks as if I didn't know what I was doing. GarageBand is kind of does all that for me, and I don't. I'm not as familiar with all of the with all of the audio stuff, so it's it works pretty well. And it's kind of for messing around, it's not too bad. I, I don't think I'd want to record a studio album I was going to release with it, but uh, but it's not too bad for just messing around at home. Well, that's true because Michael and I have have Pro Tools that is far 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 more powerful than any of us really need because. You, in fact, Michael spends a lot of time multi-tracking stuff. I don't do it nearly as much production as he does. Right. Uh, so, you know, actually, we're wasting money, aren't we? <laughs> no, no, because I don't want to have to learn a whole new system. I think that's what it comes down to. Didn't you try GarageBand at one point to, to do podcasts with and get frustrated with it and walked away? I thought I remembered you telling me that. Yeah, I found GarageBand just didn't <clears throat> give you the granularity, the, the control over the audio that you would get with, with something else. But that's because I'm primarily focused on spoken word. Right. And so you need to be far more particular in your edits, I suppose, it would be to say, versus music, where you're generally doing an entire take at, at any given time. Yeah. And you're not going to be chopping up little bits and, and pieces. But I did find my way through that. I did I, with GarageBand. I was able to, to do a lot of sort of Frankensteining with tracks, and that was kind of that was kind of neat. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely more difficult. It's it's like again, I bring it back to iMovie. iMovie I find very difficult to edit with. I'd rather use software that actually has the the granular thing that you're talking about. But it actually it's it's pretty versatile. Once and once I got into it, and I I, I don't. I would, I'd recommend it if you're, especially for someone sort of pro-am like I am with it, you know? Well, you two, both of you, as musicians, I, I, I really want to get your insight into the garage band experience. And I'm not talking about the software, because at some point, both of you said, this is an instrument I want to play, and I'm going to get a band together. Wasn't the original goal ultimately to be a big shot rock star? When you first got your band together? Oh, absolutely. For me, it was. I mean, this goes all the way back to high school. And we had it. We were definitely going to be, 
you know, uh, going on a European tour any second now. <laughs> but then certain aspects of life interrupt your your dreams and you just give up after a while, which is what I did. I gave up. Yeah, I'd say that for me, for sure, that was exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a big rock star. Those were the big dreams. Um, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get there. And it's a it's a very delicate chemistry, I'd say, trying to get all that together. And I and I watched uh, people far more talented than me that I thought were, I thought, oh, those guys are going to make it for sure, just drift off into the abyss and never go anywhere. And um, I was surprised by that. But for me, it was the same thing. I sort of latched onto the same group of people. We played together a lot. I, I left that that group of people to go try and start something new that was uh, more original focused and uh, try and get going on that. And it just never seemed to catch on. I just never seemed to get all the way there. And I, you know, I probably never fully committed enough to it as, as kind of one of the things in order to get a good chance. Not that I would necessarily would have made it had I fully committed, but I think that that real sort of, I'm going to go sleep in a van until this thing takes off thing is, is really how you get into that business and how you get to a point where you're actually making money selling your own music, you know? Yeah. I think the deal with music is that you got to go in, you got to go all in. Yeah. And if, if you don't, then you're, you're going to end up, you're not going to end up being successful. That just is, it's just the, the way it is. And it's what I talk about with young musicians who yeah. want to break through. And if it's not your passion and it's not something that you're going to work on 24 seven, it's uh it's it's never going to be more than just a hobby. But even if you did work at it twenty four seven, that's no guarantee of success. Oh. No, it's not. But you get a you have a better chance of actually breaking through because this becomes your life's work and it becomes something that you cannot. You just you you. It is something that you need to do as a, as a human being is to make music. Have you guys ever slept in your cars? No. See, that's the point. I won't do it. I I don't have that level of commitment. Sean. No, no, I never did. Exactly the same thing. And I'd, and I'd say that, like, to, to Alan's point is that I'd say that no one that's ever made it didn't do that, right? They always had to, they had to go all in on it to get there. So it's not like you, 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 if you do that, you're guaranteed your pass into the world, but you, without doing that, you're never going to get that pass there. So, uh, but no, I never slept in a car and I never, I remember, <laughs> Um, I lived uh, downstairs from a guy who was in a band called The Local Rabbits. I remember them. Yeah. And uh, we were uh, sitting around having drinks at my place one night with a bunch of a couple of people that we didn't know. And he threw it at me one time. And he's like, well, you know what it's like to be on the road, don't you, Sean? You're a musician. And I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, really? <laughs> so I kind of, and I didn't want to, I, I, it was my, it was my opportunity to totally be a complete bullshitter and I didn't, and I didn't do it, but it was, it was really funny because he had a, he had toured the country from one end to the other. He plays with Joel Plaskett and he does a whole bunch of different stuff. So well, I'll tell you that what I'm doing right now is I'm working with a company called uh, side door access. Yeah. And they're based out of Halifax. We've talked about them on this show. Oh yeah. And what they do is they help musicians who are touring from coast to coast fill in gigs at small venues, retailers, wineries, restaurants, even private homes uh, between the properly booked gigs so they can make some extra money yeah. to get it, get to get to the next gig. Yeah, I've seen that. It's it's definitely I think that's a great thing to do. Actually, my wife wanted to to host open our home up to do that um, and have a have a some kind of an act come in and do a show here, which would be kind of fun. But, but yeah, I think that's, it's those kind of things are, you really need to make money somehow. You need to live somehow. And it, I think I, I gathered that most bands uh, touring, they're, they're making their money somehow or another at the, at the door of the venue, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. So then at what point did you go, you know what? I need a day job. <laughs> 30. <laughs> wow. You lasted that long. eh? <laughs> you hit the big three Oh, I did. I, I turned 30 and I thought the next move for me is either a cruise ship or a wedding band. Oh, you didn't want to be the wedding singer? No, I really didn't. All right, everybody, come on, out on the dance floor. But uh, yeah, and I didn't, uh, that was that. I'm like, okay, I need to go back to school uh, and do something. That cruise ship idea, like like how soulless must that be? Yeah. No, 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 it's not a vacation. <laughs> you got to be on the entire time dealing with all these drunken cruisers. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Man, look at him go. If I, I get 
Milfs, though, right? Pawn at you, hey, Sean? Hey, 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 hey. Right? That doesn't sell it for you. <laughs> I did my first cruise last year, as you know, Michael. You saw, you made fun uh, mercilessly of all of the mercilessly pictures. Mercilessly punished you for it. <laughs> but uh, I watched those. Uh, there's, there is talent in the in the cruise ship business. I gotta say, I don't. I, it's not. It's certainly nothing that appealed to me. So we mock it, but your point is, is that these are actual people who are really good musicians. They just never made it big. Yeah, and now they're trying to put food on the table in one way or another, and uh, you know, pay the mortgage or, or do whatever it is that they've got to do when they're not on those cruise ships. But that seems like a pretty tough road to hoe. All right, Alan. So, at what point did you go? All right, the drums—it's—it's it's not going to do it for me. Uh, well, we were—we stuck together until we were until I graduated from university. So, I think I was the one that broke up the band. I got my first real six string. job and in radio it's a very nomadic career oh yeah it's the typical wkrp up and down the dial completely <laughs> so i was the one that had to move 120 miles away for that first full-time radio job which basically busted up the band when i got to where i was living in Kenora, ontario i was with the group for a little while but i was only there for three months so i broke up that band too you were in Kenora. Yes, I was there for three months in the summer of 1983. Well, at the summer, at least it was the summer. At least it was the summer. I, I did the dead of winter in Owen Sound, Ontario. Uh -huh. oh. Lake effect snow. Yeah. yeah. I, I interviewed for a journalism job writing for a newspaper in Kirkland Lake. I was almost my first job. Really? I And, and the, 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 the radio station operator's uh, son, yeah. John Pohl, took the job from me. Today, John is is in Montreal and then at uh, CFRB 1010, News Talk 1010 in Toronto. And me, I'm talking to you two jamokes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the guy telling me when he called me to tell me I didn't get the job. I, he said, uh, listen, I'm calling to let you know that we decided to go with somebody else. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, I got to tell you, you sound relieved. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you might be picking up. Kirkland Lake was one of those communities that had a thriving uranium industry. Yes. Until they didn't. Yeah. And then the community said, well, what are we going to do now that they're they're closing up the, the quarry sort of thing? And the solution was, well, maybe we should put old people here. Right. And it became literally a retirement community. They did that with uh, Elliott Lake, too. Elliott Lake, yes. My, my mother-in-law used to live there. Maybe I'm confusing Elliott Lake and, and Kirkland Lake. Oh, could be. Both of which well above the frost line. You know what's funny, though, Michael, is you almost landed there, and that is where uh, Blue Jay Stadium announcer Tim Langton grew up. Uh, and started his career doing things in Kirkland Lake and then before moving on to other places. So Nobody does that anymore. Yeah, it would have been quite the jam, though, had all three of us been there. No, yeah, exactly. Okay, Alan, so you broke up not one but two bands. Mm -hmm. And then? Uh, that was it. My drums are now packed up in the storage room in the basements. I can't bring myself to sell them. I can't bring myself to give them to my nephew, Godson. You can't bring yourself to open them up, put them all together? I have together, no You've got this oh. massive property in the middle of nowhere. How is it you have no place to put them? Well, I know, but I have this massive drum set that's bigger than anything Neil Peart ever had. What was, what was Neil Peart of, uh, of Rush, correct? Yeah. So, so what was his band kit? I, if I recall correctly, I, I thought I had read somewhere that he had a 22-piece drum kit. Well, if you count the cymbals. If you count the cymbals and the rotor toms and some of the other things that he had, 
Yeah, it was it was pretty big. So uh, I was a, a drum teacher. Wow. I taught at a place called Drums Unlimited at Main Street and in Inkster in Winnipeg for a number of years. And rather than get paid cash for the kids that I was teaching, I would just put the money on credit and that would go to equipment that I would buy. So I was a huge Rush fan in the early 80s. And I wanted to have the exact same kit that Neil had uh, for albums like Permanent Waves and Moving Pictures and so on. And at that time, he was playing a Tama Imperial Star kit with double 24-inch kick drums. And that's what I ended up getting. So I have uh, a 13-piece kit with nine or ten cymbals. Wow. Wow. So it's absolutely huge. And if I were to set it up, it would take up uh, all the any of the open space that I have left in the basement after I built my office. So you don't, you don't even have like, a, like friends that you jam with or anything? Like, have you ever done that? No, I just don't have, have to, I want to, I really want to, but I just don't have the time. Right. One of the things I'm thinking of doing is getting an electronic kit mm. and we're going to Cosmo Music Fest uh, in a little while. Right. June 1st, live on location, 12 p.m. Eastern. Join us. <laughs> and they have uh, a really good selection of electronic kits. So I'm thinking maybe, you know, drop $1,500, $1,700 on one of those and at least it won't drive the dogs crazy. But but uh, an electronic kit, like isn't that sacrilege? Oh, they've come a long way. Oh, they really have. They've yeah. come a long, long way from what they used to be. I, again, I used to work in a music store where we had, you know, these these syndromes, which were one thing that I had, and Tama had this other thing that had uh, little uh, pickups that were that clipped to the to to this uh, top skin of your tom toms that would give you some kind of electronic stuff. And it was very 80s and it's very, very outdated sound. But today, um, the kits, the electronic kits are really cool because they sample sounds from other kits that everybody knows. If you want to sound like John Bonham, no problem. We've got the, uh, you know, the snare drum that John Bonham plays. Or, um, and then you can record things, you can play back things through headphones. I mean, they're really, really good. And they're weight sensitive is the, is the best thing now, right? So if yes. you, you touch it lightly, you get a small sound. Touch it hard, you get a big sound, so which was not the way it was back in the 80s. Oh. They're very, very um, responsive. They feel like you're playing a real drum head, yeah. uh, more or less. And uh, even the cymbals have a good sound, the electronic cymbals. Who makes a nice one? Also Roland. Yeah, Roland and Simmons were the two that I would look at. Yamaha also makes a good set. So what is it about uh, a drum kit that is considered to be the bomb at this point because I'm, I'm looking at a huge price range here mm -hmm. anywhere from five hundred dollars to the roland kits which are about eighteen hundred dollars well those are, are we talking about the electronic kits or the real ones electronic kits. um it just the features you know it, it's like getting a car with uh, more stuff in the dashboard you, you pay extra because you're getting the undercoating something like that yes <laughs> Sorry. something like that you know get more symbols you can get a you know um uh, a double foot pedal, you can get uh, extra pads, you can get, you know, all kinds of different things. All right, but Sean, you haven't given up, really, because mm -hmm. you're out there, you're performing with your band, yeah. and you just know that maybe one day there's a guy in the audience who's no. going to make you a star. Those days are gone. Uh, you, you have no aspersions on this. No, I call that the Buddy Holly story. That's the, you know, hey, kid, come up to New York and we're going to sign you up. Um, I had uh, no, so I, so to answer your question, first of all, yeah, I, it's a hobby band. It's, it's, um, it's a, a total cover band. We don't play anything original. Um, we all, we have originals that we've written and tried to work into our set list over the years, but they just end up getting pushed to the, to the background because when there's people dancing in front of you, you don't want to go, Hey, this, here's one we wrote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you don't want to pull an Andy from Parks and Rec. <laughs> exactly. Pit. I was in the pit. You were in the pit. We all were in the pit. The pit. I fell in the pit. You fell in the pit. We all were in that pit. So, so we just mostly focus on having. It's it's fun. It's a it's like a rec hockey league kind of thing, right? When and uh, the nice thing is that it doesn't cost me any money. I actually come home with a little bit of cash in my pocket. So then, give us a, a review of this this new toy that I sent you. It or that Roland sent you. That Roland sent us. It's really really nice. I, as I was saying before, I used to, I was using the Apogee Duet, which is uh, which was nice, but it was 
like constant, like when I, whenever I plugged it in and decided, I don't, I don't always have it plugged in and using it. I'm just, when I have time, I, I do these things. But whenever I plugged in the, the Apogee Duet, I'd have to reboot the computer for it to recognize it. And, and then GarageBand would come and go on whether it decided it wanted to hook up with it or not. So this thing was instantaneous. And, it's, and so anything that you can, because I'm not doing it full time, anything that I can do to mitigate the slowdown period going into it and, get, and just be able to plug in and start playing and recording stuff, that's the best. So it, that that right there was was fantastic. Um, it, it's a I'm I'm talking to you through it right now. It's it has uh, it has a, a compression settings and the compression is very light. It's not too um, in the way, but it's good enough that it helps in in less messing around with level settings going into it. You probably use more for vocals than you would for a guitar. Well, I did. I did both. I did. I plugged my electric guitar right into it. I recorded a bass track too, and then it's got four inputs, correct? Four inputs, and they do make a Rubik's twenty-four as well, which is a two-input one. Which, frankly, for me, if I was going to go out and buy one of these things, and they're they're you know they're a little pricey, um, I would have just gone with the two-input one. There's really no need for me to have a four-input one, but it's you know it's nice. Why why not have a four-car garage if you can? Um, but it uh, it has uh, yeah, and so as far as the plug and play ability of it went, it was good. I, there's some things I don't like about it as far as um, where some of the controls are located on the back of it. You really have to kind of reach back to turn the power on and things like that. You got to sort of mess around to crack, crack get at that. There, I asked them about. I, call, I actually wrote to Roland and asked them about uh, Bluetooth output. It has. I've got to plug in a quarter inch or a headphone jack into it. It does have a quarter inch output, but I've got a little adapter for it. Um, and it would be nice to be able to use my Bluetooth headphones, which I think are, you know, pretty commonplace these days. Um, and I, so I wrote to them and asked them if they have any plans about doing that. And they said, no, we don't really have any plans, but we're always open to new ideas. So that's, that's one thing I would improve on this if I, if I could, would make it a little bit more, um, uh, conducive to the home studio thing. I noticed it's got a direct monitor with a 1-2 channel and a 3-4. So mm. that would probably help you with putting the, um, the, 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 what, what, what do you call them? The, the feedback speakers that you would hear your own voice and instruments as opposed to the echoey that you would get. Yeah, it's the foldback. It's the fold low back. latency foldback. Right. So I guess that's what the direct monitors are so that you can have uh, monitor speakers pointed at you. I could. Yeah. So I can hear what, just what's happening. But that's not, that's just not, I don't tend to do it that way. I tend to use headphones. But You're not doing like big stadiums or anything no, like that. No, no. And if I was going to do, I mean, you could, so I could have used this, um, with my band live, just putting my vocals and my guitar through it, adding a little level of um, just some control for, for compression and things like that, which we don't, you know, I don't have too much of. Um, but I didn't get around to doing that with the live setup. The live setups, you know, usually it's uh, wait for a couple of tables to get out of the way, set the band up and go, right? So I didn't want to spend a bunch of time messing around with a new product. But... Um, the next time I'd want to record the band live, just using like our Zoom or something like that, this would be perfect for that. We can we I, that gives me a little bit of that compression angle. I bet it would sound really really good. So uh, and it has that. Um, it would be pretty easy to set up and do that. I think. And your point to, about price point, it's about four hundred U.S. dollars for the four channel model. Which, you know, I can imagine if you treat your band, your garage band as a hobby, then this could be a real money pit that you would sink cash into. Oh, yeah. So 400 bucks is not that bad considering what you would pay for uh, smaller units. Yeah, um, com comparably, yes. But like I said, I don't, like for me personally, I would, I'd, two, two channels would be more than enough. So just the cost savings on doing that, I think, and it's the exact same quality and uh, sound and everything coming from the two channel version. So personally, that's what I would look look to do. I'm not a real gearhead. I don't buy, I have, I have an electric guitar. I have an acoustic guitar. I have a bass that gets played very rarely. And I have the equipment that I need for my gig. I have a, you know, my mic and my patch cords and all that sort of stuff, but I don't end up with a whole bunch of gear. See, this is where you and I diverge. What about you, Alan? I'm a huge gearhead. Well, I'm, I'm somewhere between the two of you. I do have a lot of gear in the house. In fact, I have too much gear in the house because some of the stuff that I have is actually duplications, except they're from different companies and different formats. So um, I've actually sort of weaned myself off gear porn recently <laughs> because I don't need anything else. Right. I mean, I've got a, a new Sennheiser microphone sitting here in the studio that I haven't hooked up yet because <gasps> I haven't bothered to go out and get a, <laughs> uh, a new mic stand. 
You know, we got this thing called Amazon, right? Like they'll deliver it to you. I know, but I just haven't haven't had the the I just haven't bothered because there's so much other stuff here. I mean, I've got Sonos, I've got Google, I've got Alexa, I've got. Um... Oh, don't say that! Now you just woke up mine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the thing though is that you could spend a remarkable amount of money. Mm -hmm. You know, as a gearhead, you know what I just bought for the big show? Amiibo. A what? Amiibo. Should we have board meetings about these things where we <laughs> talk about capital expenditures? What uh, what what did, what did you buy? Okay, so Amiibo. This is going to be awesome. And, and Sean, you need to listen up because you are going to be our director for our live on location show at Cosmo Fest 20. I'm excited about this. Yes, I will be. And I'm really excited about this. So tell us more about the Amiibo. Right. J Sean was also our director, um, for those who don't know, most who don't know. Um, for the big live on location show that we did on my back deck, the live on Facebook live show for Michael's back deck show show. And uh, <laughs> by the way, thank you very much for oh, that. Most welcome. That was great. It was a good time. So it's, it's great that you're going to be joining us again. Stop to make it. Sure What's that Amiibo? <laughs> right. Amiibo. Sorry. I, you you got to do a little, a little schmoozing and thanking here, right? What's Amiibo and how much did it cost? So you know what a fisheye camera is, right? Yes. Where you get this crazy view. Amiibo is that. It's a, it's, it looks like a, if I was to describe it physically, it looks a lot like a can of Red Bull with a little eyeball on the top. And that eyeball is fisheye in 4K. But the beauty is, is what it does is the internals, the hardware, takes away the barrel distortion that you get with a fisheye photograph or a video. And then it turns that into a massive image in 4k and then because of the the field of view that you get with fisheye it can virtually create multiple separate cameras so when you and i are at cosmo fest we're going to stick this camera fairly close to you and me and then because it's fisheye uh, because it's fisheye Sean will be able to isolate a shot of you and isolate a shot of me and then have a shot of both you and me. And it will look as though we have three cameras when we only have one. Awesome. Okay. Nice. How much? It's about a thousand bucks. Oh! <laughs> That's okay. Victor Biggio paid for it. That's right. As well as all the other listeners who've been supporting the big show. Okay, I'm going to borrow it for something. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know to. what I can use it for. I don't know how to use it. I probably will never use it because I'm an audio guy, not a video guy, but I'm going to borrow it anyway because 50% of it's mine. I'll tell you why you're going to want to borrow it. Because you're not always going to have a Sean Jete who's right. able to be the director of the big show. And so what it does is it has an autopilot mode. It's got onboard stereo microphone so that it recognizes when the speaker to the left is talking versus the speaker to the right. And then it'll zoom in on whoever's on the left who's doing the speaking. And it'll zoom in when the other person starts talking as well. All right, fine. What do we set this thing? What, what, what do we attach this thing to? You just plug it directly into the internet and you can use an iPad to control oh. it or a desktop computer if you want. Mm. So Sean's going to be going tappity tap, tap, tap. All right. I'll tell you what, we're going to use this for Cosmo Fest and then maybe I'll take it with me on the road when I do this speaking thing and I can live stream some of my, my events. Sounds like a great idea. All right. All right. Yeah, I just got to find a use for it. God damn it. So Sean. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us uh, June 1st. It's going to be an awesome show. Looking forward to it. Are you going to maybe play a little? Because Sloan's going to be there. Maybe you sit in on the band. <laughs> you know, I saw Sloan one night play a Halloween party uh, at the wee hours of the morning. They showed up to this Halloween party after playing a gig somewhere else. And they did nothing but kiss covers all night long. It was, it was oh, fantastic. See, I can, that's so Sloan. <laughs> that is so Sloan. Very cool. Very cool. And Porch Stool Jam will be playing when and where? Uh, I... Do not know what our next gig is, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I know we're playing. I know we're playing July twenty sixth in Crystal Beach. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pump that one up. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Sean Jete is the front man of Porch Stool Jam. He joined us from his home studio in Scarborough, Canada. If you want to know more about the Roland Rubik's forty four, go to geeksandbeats.com. Sean's full review is on the website. Guests of Geeks and Beats stay at the luxurious Trump Hotel in downtown Toronto because when you think class you think trump can you talk about the world's biggest brothel throwing down the challenge to sex robots wait what
spent a whole bunch we just spent a whole bunch of time geeking out over some music gear. Yeah. I would like to talk about sex robots. Well, it wouldn't be a Geeks and Beats podcast month without an episode about sex robots. Absolutely. So, um, Sherry's Ranch in Nevada, which is the world's biggest brothel, has come out against any kind of sex robots, uh, saying that they just cannot compete with real human beings. However, scientists have refuted this. They're tinkering in labs and workshops uh, to perfect the next generation of sex bots, and they predict that by 2050, so 30 years from now-ish, human on robot sex will be more common than paying somebody at a brothel. Dude, do you really think you're going to be interested in sex in 30 years? No, I'll be dead. Yeah, this isn't for you. Yes, but I'm just pointing this out for anybody who has children. Uh, <laughs> this is what they will be doing 30 years hence. Uh. Gee, okay, if you felt the need to bring that up. I'm just, uh, you know, warning people that progress is unstoppable. Yeah, life finds a way. Apparently so does sex. Mm -hmm. You can move on to anything else you want now. I just had to get that in. That's that's my update. <laughs> that That's your update, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we will be at CosmoFest 2019 in north of Toronto on the 1st of June. And we will be broadcasting live come 12 noon Eastern time. We'd love to have you come down, say hello, check some stuff out. There's going to be some great bands. I mentioned Sloan as one of them. A whole bunch of others as well. Chilliwack's going to be there for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. Bill Henderson and Chilliwack have been around for forever. Maybe that's sort of the, the second part of our conversation about garage bands and the point at which you realize that you're goal of being the next Bono isn't going to happen and therefore it's time to pack it in and get a day job. At what point do you as a major force in the music industry go, you know what? My time has passed. It's time now to be singing at Casino Rama. That's a, well, no, Casino casino gigs pay very well. I mean, bands like Alice right, and right, Shane. But, but think about it. There was a time when no one in the band would want to play a casino because it was below them because they were filling stadiums. No, this is this is true. But however, casino gigs have become such high-paying gigs right now that uh, there's a whole circuit of this sort of thing uh, all across North America on, on uh, reservations and so on. Plus, one of the most lucrative gigs that you can have right now is a residency in Las Vegas. You know, Aerosmith, Blink-182, uh, any number of DJs, uh, have have had gigs there. It's it's just there's just too much money to be made in casinos. So it's no longer the bad thing it used to be. But still, you've got to hit a point in your career where you go, well, I guess it's time to play the casino circuit. Well, yeah, because at least you, the money's good and the money's guaranteed and uh, the accommodations are good. Time for a geeks and beats update. Craig Minette, latest member of the world's worst intern program. Thank you, Craig. You did not pay for that fisheye lens that Michael bought. No, no. Um, and um, since we shifted over from Patreon, we're still accepting Patreon patrons, but we've also made available the ability to use PayPal and not sign up for a Patreon account. We've had an increase in people who have not only uh, decided that that's how they're going to support the big show, but they're supporting it in a big way as well. We've got a $100 donation option that I just threw in <laughs> as a gag. And? Like, w once a year, donate 100 bucks, and uh -huh. people are doing it. No, they're not. They are. Wow. Craig was uh, a $1 an episode, so he's a member of the World's Worst Intern Program. But Craig Schlegelmilch, full-time software engineer, part-time whiskey entrepreneur, dropped 100 bones right out of the gate. Wow. Thank you very much. We are um, stunned and surprised. Craig says he's been a fan of you for decades and became a fan of me from the podcast. Very good. Okay, see, it's rubbing off on you. Thank you very much. He says he was devastated. I admit that that was a little bit strong. Maybe he was just a little more mopey when we canceled a while back. We went on hiatus mm -hmm. and uh, he kept the podcast in his list and was quite cheered up when suddenly he saw that we were creating new episodes. Oh, good. He has a question for us, though. Mm-hmm. What would happen if we ever actually had Sting on the show? I think both of us would have a very large myocardial infarction. And then we'd have to change who the weekly guest was. Once we have him on the show, my theory is we've got to change it. Yeah, that's true. It's not like we haven't tried. Oh, we have definitely we tried. We have we definitely tried. tried. One day it'll happen. 
one day, I don't know, did we, I think we told this story once before about, um, getting an email from the PR company that represents Sting saying, (laughs) yes. I've noticed that you've been promoting that he's going to be on the show. We don't have it in our calendar anywhere. Yes. I think they were very diplomatic because I think they knew that it wasn't in the calendar for a reason because we were full of shit. Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't want to come out and say, hey, what the hell is wrong with you, Jamokes? Yeah, I know. It was nice of them. They played along well. And, and so then I, I, I had been waiting for this email for 192 episodes. <laughs> and then we finally got the email. And so I just like barfed out this voluminous response to them explaining the gag behind it and we got like a three sentence response that basically said we're okay for this to continue they were very nice about it they really were so if you'd like to support the big show go to geeksandbeats.com click the support the show link we've got patreon we've got paypal you can do recurring paypal donations as well as uh, craig Minette has uh, done as well so we want to say thank you to craig as well as craig craig Minette and craig schwegel Craig, shake. Sorry, this martini is really kicking in. Well, you know what? That sounds like a really ex- exotic German liqueur. Schlegelmilch? Yeah. It does. Thank you to both Craigs. One of them is spelled K R A E G. That's new. It's got like a Game of Thrones feel to it. Yeah, no kidding. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.